0: Ronananian. I get it that it's convenient. Something that works improperly, but it's a convenience thing. Somehow that always comes around to bite you. doctor you know what gather parts while you can because once they stop making parts if you still want to fix it it costs you a whole lot more
1: welcome to the radio home of ron and Anian the car doctor since 1991 this is where car owners the world over
0: turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair if your mechanic's giving you a busy signal pick up the phone and call in the garage doors are open but i am here to take your calls At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie Neeney, the car doctor, at your service at 855-560-9900. The car doctor, 24-7 phone number. Give us a call, 855-560-9900. And we'll answer your question and help fill your head with a little bit more automotive knowledge than when you first called in and um, basically fill you up about your automobile and help you solve your problem and just uh, dispel some of the myths that are out there and what good auto repair is and what bad auto repair is. And um, we'll talk to you about all points in between, 855-560-9900. More information, as always, at Cardoctorshow.com. Podcasting available at TuneIn, iHeart, and iTunes.com. And if you need me during the week, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. And I'll do my best to answer each and every one of you as uh, I would have been known to do. I will pick up the phone and okay, now what do you want to talk about? And uh, sometimes it surprises somebody at work, and you never know when that's going to happen. But uh, when I have a free minute, sometimes it's easier just to talk to you direct. 2000 Volvo S40 came into the shop at RA Automotive, and the customer described it that the idle speed was so high they didn't have to touch the gas pedal the entire time they drove over from their house about six and a half miles away. They just... Let the car pull itself all by itself. It was a self-driving car. Was it? A different kind of repair. Welcome to the repair of the week. Like I said, a 2000 Volvo came in. The idle speed was real high. And customer was actually afraid to drive the car. And I understand why the check engine light popped on about halfway over. Naturally, when I got in the car, not so much. And it behaved itself. And I drove it around the block. And everything seemed normal. And it, it just, it just, it was just okay. So I decided it was time for a little bit of technology. Technology is a good thing in, in some ways, and we talk about technology and we have concerns about it, but technology within its limits, if you know what you want it to do, it becomes a game. You can you can tame the technology and teach it a few things or two. I got out my launch X431 pad, and I want to talk to you a little bit about graphing. graphing scan tools are, are really neat they're used in the right potential used in the right opportunity in the right placement they really will help you fix the car i got out my launch x431 and uh, that's the pad one uh, they also have a pad two which i just happened to grab the pad one for whatever reason not that there's anything wrong with the two but um, just know that they have a pad one and a pad two both great scan tools and went into this volvo went in and you know connected to it bluetooth wireless which is really nice that And, you know, I just realized something. If Launch has the ability now to connect via Bluetooth, Launch might be one of the few manufacturers that can connect to the new cars when they go Bluetooth technology because Launch actually has it in place already. That's kind of a neat observation, but we'll see where that goes in the coming years. But anyway, at had this 2000 Volvo S40, stay on track, run, and it had an intermittent fast idle and an intermittent check engine light. I went in to scan it for codes, and the launch pad reported back, an ECM-15 fault or a problem in the coolant temp sensor. And that actually made sense to me because an ECM-15 or a P0118 in everyday layman's terms is a fault in the coolant temp sensor circuit. And when a Volvo of this generation sees that fault, it will actually bump the idle speed and turn the fan on all the time. So I felt that now I had a symptom that matched a condition that matched a customer description. Now I just had to see it happen so I could capture it and figure out the course of action. I started this conversation by saying I was going to talk to you about graphing. Graphing is the art of or the the function of you're going to take a number. So let's say the number is 195 in terms of engine degrees. You're going to take 195 degrees. And put it on a flat-line graph. You're going to see, you know, on an x-axis chart, my algebra and geometry are coming back to me, and mostly algebra from high school. Now I understand why I had to take it. I had to take algebra to become an auto mechanic, folks. And you're watching it on an x-axis, parallel, and I'm also graphing the engine coolant startup temperature, engine temperature, and RPM. And I took the car for a ride. And the launch tool really makes it easy because that it's, it's, it's wireless. It's Bluetooth wireless. You can set it on the seat next to you. They give you a nice hanging bracket. You hook it, you know, set it up, and away you go. About eight minutes into the ride, all of a sudden, that coolant temp sensor of 195, all of a sudden, bang, drops out to minus 54 degrees. The car went berserk. All of a sudden, the car's running at 3,000 RPM. The cooling fan's running all the time and I've got a car that's hard to control, and I'm a couple of miles away from the shop. Shut it off, went out, looked under the hood, didn't see anything obvious, got back in, cleared the fault, because I said, I bet if I clear the fault, it will should put it back into a reset, provided it's not a hard failure. Cleared the fault, and wouldn't you know, it did exactly what I thought it was going to do, and I was able to drive back to the shop. Step two was doing the exact same thing, using the launch scan tool, but also hooking a DVOM up to the coolant temp sensor. When the scan tool glitched, I had my digital volt ohm meter on freeze frame, on on freeze and min-max capture so I could record the the change of voltage, and I saw the scan tool drop and the digital volt ohm meter go from 2.5 volts to 5. It went open circuit. So I knew that I had an issue with the coolant temp sensor. I did a couple of other things. I looked at connectors. I verified the ground. And in the end, because of the technology and because of what that launch tool brought to the marketplace, I was able to actually diagnose that in roughly 30 minutes. And that's what makes technology so great in the terms of the technology and using it to capture because otherwise you're going to end up having to Can you imagine trying to capture this in an environment where you can't see things going on all the time? It really becomes an issue. Um, Put a coolant temp sensor in it. Put a thermostat in it. If you ever do this repair, this is on the little uh, four-cylinder Volvos, and a lot of the uh, five-cylinder Volvos are the same way. If you ever do this repair, the coolant temp sensor, and this is the coolant temp sensor under the thermostat, do a thermostat in the car too, which brings me to the bad side of technology because a lot of the information for the replacement sensor said it was supposed to be at the far end of the cylinder head, which it wasn't it was under the thermostat housing and i I learned that in two thousand they were here in two thousand somewhere here, some were there, and you know you say to yourself, "You understand why Volvo's in the straits that they're in because the uh, they're just they're just sometimes they're just strange, and there's no other way to say it but um I just wanted to point out that sometimes technology works to your favor. And uh, able to fix the car in, in a very quick period of time, which makes for a very happy customer. Hello and welcome. Ron and and The Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900, here to answer your questions and talk about your repair of the week, whatever that might be. And, you know, the, the funny thing about that Volvo is she had taken it somewhere else. It was a regular customer. Well, sometimes a regular customer, sometimes not. And they weren't able to duplicate it, and could I and would I, and am I able to, and it really came down to, not that I can, but I trusted my tools, and the launch tool really gives me the fastest reaction time. I should point out, too, if we're talking about graphing information with a scan tool, you know, one of the neat things about launch is they let you customize your display. So I had, I had a choice of four pages of data bits or pieces of information. And one thing I've learned over the years, and if you want to take advantage of the processor that's in that scan tool, and the Launch has a great one in it, it actually runs an XP Windows operating system, in that it it will, the less PIDs you put up, the faster response rate you get. So just looking at three pieces of information, starting coolant temp, ending coolant temp, or current coolant temp, and RPM. And the reason I put RPM up there is because I want to make sure I'm seeing... Yeah, I'll give you a little another little trick here. The reason I always put RPM up when I'm graphing something, because I've had situations where if the car is sick, it will lock the scan tool. And if it does, if I don't have the RPM change there, if I'm looking at coolant temperature and I'm seeing 195, if that's all I'm looking at, how do I know if the scan tool burps and it locks itself up? If the RPM doesn't change, when I let my foot off the gas, <laughs> I, I, I know something's going on. So I always put RPM up there with coolant PIDs when I'm doing something like that. But uh, just point out that the, the least amount of PIDs, you don't need to look at everything. Visualize the repair. Think about what you want to do. And that helps you solve it quicker because less PIDs means faster reaction time. Eight five five I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Mm-hmm. back ron Anini and the car doctor come on and sit down let's talk Eight five five let's kick the garage doors wide open and go talk to micah from portland maine micah welcome to the car doctor how can i help
2: how you doing ron well i'm calling because it's my subaru legacy is now a year old it's very low mileage. It's only got 7,000 miles on it, but it's time for its third oil change because I did the first one at 1,000 miles, as recommended by a car doctor I know. Um, and I'm wondering, besides the, uh, the oil change, I know I need a lube oil and filter. I want to have them balance and rotate the tires, and I need to replace the cabin air filter. What should I have the dealership do? And it's got to be the dealership because I'm paying them extra to make sure they maintain it. And they are a reputable shop,
0: right. but I just
2: want to be able to follow up.
0: And, and how many miles are on it, Micah?
2: less than seven
0: thousand well you know if it's a year and it's a year right yes it is it's a year so yeah you are going to do a cabin filter i would do a tire rotate obviously they're going to do an oil change and filter and a a general look over nuts bolts anything (laughs) loose anything out of place uh good chance to observe the suspension after a year of main roads and uh you know see what the winter was like and what it might have done to the chassis but there's not a whole lot more than that Uh, you know as a precaution I would probably just go through driveline fluid levels, you know, even though they're nowheres near ready to be changed, yeah, you just don't know what might have happened. was it properly filled at the factory? was it really right up the level? It's just a good chance to get underneath and take a look around, you know like I always tell you and I tell everyone else, an oil change in a lot of situations is much more than just oil and filter. it's a good chance to observe what kind of shape is the car in. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to take a look. Take an extra five, ten minutes, and maybe in some cases it's a little bit longer to check fluid levels that they're not all five, ten minutes, but it's just a good chance while you're under there to look around. Uh, somebody sent me an email during the week. I'll preface it like this, Micah. Somebody sent me an email during the week from uh, another guru expert who talks about how oil changes you know, extended oil changes are okay for the cars and 10,000-mile intervals are good and 15,000-mile intervals are good and, you know, the 3,000-mile oil change is no longer really part of the landscape, how it doesn't qualify. The problem with that line of thinking, and there's a lot of things wrong with it, and I won't repeat what I've said so many times here on air, but the problem that's wrong with that line of thinking is most cars, after they've got 4,000 miles on that oil change interval, the manufacturers in the owner's manual talk about checking oil level on a regular basis. Nobody does that. Right. And and, and getting lulled into this, my car doesn't need anything mentality, you know, it, 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 it doesn't pay off well as the vehicle ages. So, you know, I say to everyone, change the oil whenever you want, but keep in mind, an oil change... It's really a good chance for maintenance and to look around and observe and prevent the problem before it happens.
2: Yeah, it's not, I was going to say, it's not just an oil change. It's kind of like as long as you have it already up on the jack, you might as well change the oil. You right. Know? But, it's correct. Uh, correct. But. What people also don't understand, I think, is that it's not just 3,000 miles, 6,000 miles, 10,000 miles. It's that or six months or three months or whatever it is, and you've got to look at either. Whichever comes first, that's when it's time to do it.
0: Right, and that's and that's the issue that people fail to see. Mike, I appreciate the call. I'm backed up on calls. Let me take some others, but uh, you hang in there, buddy, and let us know how it works out. If they if they have any questions after you're done, uh, you give us a call back and let us know what we can do. Sammy out in Pennsylvania, 97 Ford Mustang. Some issues with uh, water in the oil, it looks like. What can I do for you, Sam?
3: Yeah, the oil is turning milky. Okay. What what, what do I have to do to repair that?
0: Um, It sounds like, and this is going to be a 3.8 liter V6, I believe. Yes. Okay, this is probably a classic example of a failed head gasket. This is what they normally did. Someone is going to have to diagnose this from the perspective of a head gasket, one of a couple of ways. Uh, The simple method, depending on how badly it's failed, would be when the engine is cold, make sure the radiator is filled with coolant. Take the radiator cap off, hood up, radiator cap off, crank the engine over. Disable the ignition, either pull the plug to the module, or or, uh, this shouldn't have a coil. This should be, in 97, I believe this was just a straight module with DI, but if it's got an ignition coil and distributor, pull the wire to the coil, disable the ignition, crank it around. Does it pump coolant out of the radiator with the cap off? If it does, when it's cold, that's a sign that there's pressure from the combustion chamber leaking into the cooling system, and you're physically pushing and burping the air out of the radiator. Sign of a bad head gasket. Typically, they fail head gaskets on cylinders one and two, right in the middle, and between five and six. It's the first two on the back bank or the last two on the front bank. Very common for these to eat up head gaskets and do exactly what you're describing.
3: Uh-huh. Well, what does a repair like that
0: cost? Um, anywhere from fifteen to $1,800, real-world money. It's a big really? job. Top of the uh, engine has to come apart. Oh, you're going to take the engine out of the car? No, not out of the car, but you do have to take the heads off. By the time you take the heads off, and again, you know, what part of Pennsylvania? What's the shop's labor rate? I'd rather talk in terms of hours. That's easily a depending upon age and how things come apart. Somewhere between six to eight or eight to twelve hours, depending upon exhaust manifolds, studs, how much rust is on the vehicle. It, it depends on cooperation level in terms of dirty older parts on an almost 20-year-old vehicle coming apart. Okay,
3: very good.
0: All right, sir. Thank but, you, Ron. But that's where I would be looking, Sam. Good luck to you, and uh, you're very welcome. Uh, back in the day, we had, I'll never forget, oh, gosh, it's got to be 15 years ago when there were more of those running around the 3-8s. I remember one winter, it was right around the time that Ford acknowledged they had a problem with those, and, uh, just before they admitted they had the issue, we were doing head gaskets. I remember one winter, I did fourteen pairs of those head gaskets, starting in November through the end of March. I did I, I did one or two every week. It got to the point where I could do the job in my sleep. It, it was just it was just crazy. It was baffling to me. I that's how I and I still remember most of the numbers on how it works. But uh, very common fault. That that head gasket uh, would fail just like that, and the issue was there's only ten head bolts holding that down. They needed eleven, if I remember right. They needed eleven or twelve because I looked at it one day and I said, why are these always failing? You needed a bolt between the two cylinders where the clamp load was the weakest, and that's why the um, that's why the head bolt would fail or the head gasket would fail just like that. Tom, you had a quick question or a comment?
4: No, I just said uh, so that what they had to do. I was going to say that what they had to do was actually go to eleven. Right, they had to go to 11. Wow.
0: Right, and they didn't.
4: The engine,
0: yeah. Right, and that was an issue, right, yeah. No, didn't you have a comment? No, you had a comment before about Bluetooth.
4: Oh, yes, we were talking, uh, you had mentioned uh, that the, um, actually, we're coming, I'm going to be timing it down here. We can talk about it after the break. Uh, With Bluetooth uh, for
0: scan tools, can't they now hack into my car? Oh, there's a great question. I'll tell you what, when we return... We're going to talk a little bit about that, about hacking into the vehicle and what sort of security issues Bluetooth technology presents. I'm Ron in The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. (laughs) and The Car Doctor here. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Looking for some answers to your car problems? Give us a call, 855-560-9900. That is The Car Doctor's 24-7 number. Call, leave a message. If we're not on the air, we are live Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back, line you up, and get you into the barrel for the next go-around when we do this thing we do every week we call the radio show for the past 25 years. Let's get over to line one, talk to Jeff up there in Turner, Maine. Some questions about an 04 Chevy Silverado. Jeff, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. How can I help?
3: Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to talk to you. Well,
0: I appreciate that. What's going on?
3: I've got an floor, Chevy Silverado, and I'm having trouble with the you know, heater controls on it. Um, it's either very hot or very cold. I'll start it out warm, turn it down about halfway, and then it goes cold, and I have to boost it all the way up again. And then last uh, summer when it got hot, I turn on the AC, and it would blow okay, and then all of a sudden it would go full hot just on the driver's side. And I'm just wondering if you think it might be that heater control unit in the dash, or is it deeper than that?
0: It could be, but believe it or not, the first place I would go with this is I would take a look at a scan tool. Uh-huh. And I'd want to see what sort of fault codes this has because everything here, even if it's is, – is this got the sliders or is this automatic AC with it's knobs? It's got the sliders. It's got the sliders. Even those, there is no real mechanical connection. Every, uh-huh. Everything here is wiring pinouts and going through the body module. And okay. you can have issues with the blend door actuators, passenger or driver's side. Uh, it's got two slides in the middle, right? One yep. for one for left, one for right regarding temperature. Right. So you know this is going to still be a response and feedback system. It's looking for an input and output control. You move the, you move the temperature to, you know, half scale. It wants to see the temperature come out at half scale. It's measuring and recording everything. So uh-huh. the the likelihood of there not being a fault code here when you see something like this is pretty remote. Um, okay. You know, it's it's. I would start with, but now. You know it'd start with scanning for codes, but when I say that, I don't mean obD two. Mm-hmm. I mean going in manufacturer specific, so two thousand four Chevy Silverado and then going into the BCM or the body computer or if they have a separate HVAC heating ventilation and air conditioning module listed and talking to that. okay, all right okay one of the one of the things I like to do on all vehicles nowadays, is whenever I get it into the shop and, I'm, you know, somebody says, hey, check the car out. We do this on used cars now. We do this on, uh, you know, we, we have a seasonal checklist that we do. It's a two-page checklist. Stick out your tongue and say ah moment, as we call it. Uh, you know, we will sit there and hook up a scan tool depending upon the flavor of the car, and the majority of manufacturers allow us to do this. We have a, a full system, full vehicle scan. We'll look at every, every module on the car who's re- okay. who's reporting what and right. you'll find the pending problem you'll find the old problem and you'll find the current problem by doing that it's just a great place to start and okay. it's 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 why we like to do that here I got I got one for you okay Jeff yep. real quick I want you to think sure. ab- I want you to think about this in that I was at a seminar this past week and one of the questions the trainer came out with he said let's talk about a diagnostic routine car comes into the shop it's got a flat tire What's the first thing you're going to do? Do you know, Mm -hmm. out of the six guys that he asked, we got eight different answers? So, (laughs) you know, a good diagnostic routine, and this is my point, always has to start somewhere. And for me, in this day and age, short of a flat tire, I'm always going to start with a scan.
2: Yeah, okay. All right? All right, I've got a great mechanic up here. I'll have him take a look at it.
0: You good luck, and if you need more help, you give us a call. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Take good care. Let's get over to Tom, West Nyack, New York, and see what's going on here. Tom, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help, sir?
3: Hi, Ryan. How are you?
0: Good. What's cooking?
3: Um, I sent you an email regarding um, service intervals on my new Camaro. Okay. Um, I don't have to change my oil until the service light comes on, or one year.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea, isn't it? Uh, yeah.
3: Let me, yeah.
0: Let, let me um, ask you, Tom, how much was that new Camaro?
3: 47000
0: seven. Let's say that again. Forty seven thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So it's. And it's, I don't
3: have to change. The, and it tells the book tells me that the light could take up until a year to come on under the best conditions.
0: Right. Isn't that great? Um,
3: transmission fluid. I don't have to, under normal driving conditions, I don't have to change the transmission fluid at all. But if I drive it under severe conditions, I should change it every 45,000.
0: And I'm sure you bought a 2016 SS Camaro to baby it.
3: Yes, I did. Yeah.
0: So you're never going to go faster than 35 going down to the store to get a quarter of milk.
3: I breaking break in period, I can go up to 80 miles an hour.
0: Right, And then, um, and then after that, all bets are off.
3: The, the the car just had a, the, the service on this car is just strange. The drive belt, ten years,
0: hundred and fifty thousand miles. See, and you know, I'll tell you what. We'll talk about that real quick. So, belts have really taken a major change in the last seven or eight years. They went from being one uh, this uh, just regular rubber belt to EPDM, which is an extended mileage uh, rubber compound. And we don't measure belts by cracking anymore. We actually have a tread depth gauge that measures if the Vs on the belt are worn. And, yeah, I could, I could see 100,000 miles. You know, 100,000 miles is generally a life cycle for a belt. You know, what I do notice, though, is in years 6 and 7, 7 and 8, a lot of belts start to turn color. The the, the backing gets brown. They start, you know, they're starting to fuzz up. They're not quite worn out, but they're getting there. And the fact is that you're you're approaching that fuzzy edge. Listen, re- remember this. I call it the 20% rule. If a manufacturer says 100,000 miles, do it at 80. Okay? Right. It's it's a good, safe rule of thumb. The manufacturer says oil one year. How many miles are they saying in that one year, Tom?
3: Uh, what do you mean, for the oil? Yeah. They don't. They don't. Yeah. It's um it's not even oil changes aren't even on the maintenance schedule, so to speak. Right. It comes under rotate tires and services. Right. Um it rotate tires every seventy five hundred. Um check your oil and your oil life monitor at the seventy five hundred, change oil if necessary, which sends me back to the light.
0: Right. So they're basing everything on what the computer tells them and they're turning it into a real piece of machinery. But when it breaks, the answer is going to be, "Oops," either either it's in warranty or it's out of warranty. I have friends in in dealerships everywhere. Tom, I'll I'll end it here. I have friends in dealerships everywhere, and uh, the guys in the Chevy dealerships, right now, tell me they think General Motors, Motors is building the biggest bunch of junk they ever saw in the marketplace. Uh, okay. They're doing they're doing more engine work and more repairs and more, uh, you know. More stupid things, as they put it, and I'm trying to keep well, it clean for family radio. I have no
3: intention. I have no intention yeah. of uh, waiting for the light to come on, or if it were me, one year to pass. To be honest,
0: if it were me, it would be five months, five thousand miles. That Camaro is going to run hot all the time, especially with summer coming. I would be doing that trans fluid every fifty, maybe even every every forty, and I bet come two hundred thousand miles, if you still have the car that long, you'll still have all the original drivetrain components and you won't have nearly half the problems of the people that are going the distance. Remember this. If you got in the car and you drove from New York to California at one steady speed and one steady load and one steady temperature, fluids and filters and everything lasts a whole lot longer. Other than that, all the stop start, all the severe temperature changes, all that takes a toll. And in my mind, from what I've seen the past 43 years of wrenching, you're not going to see cars last nearly what manufacturers say they're going to last. All they're doing is lining up to buy the next car. 855 560 9900. The car doctor is back right after this. Welcome back, Warren and Andy, and the Car Doctor. It is time once again this hour. I don't know where time goes. Uh, we're going to give away another T-shirt here, Tom. We're whittling down that pile of ten thousand T-shirts.
4: That's good because yeah, you know, I, I tripped over it on the way in.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sorry. That was uh, my fault. I kind of left them. I'm trying. Well, you know, starting next week, we're opening up the eBay uh, listing, and we're going to start to sell T-shirts too, just to get rid of them because people want them. We can't get them out of here fast enough. So that's, we're gonna... that's a good
4: thing. The UPS guy will be busy.
0: Yeah, the UPS guy will be busier. Um, uh, but any anyway, event. What do you have for me this week? What's my What's my Facebook question of the week this week? And I should point out, if you want a Car Doctor T-shirt for free, go out, like our Ron Anini and in the Car Doctor Facebook page, leave a question. If we use it up here on air, we'll be glad to send one to you.
4: And we'll reiterate, like the page, don't like your question. Right,
0: don't like the question, like the page. Right. So well, what's going on?
4: Well, Mark Reddy says you know, he listens every week, he listens to the podcast, and you spoke of the class discussion of the no-start condition with a keyless system, and he's going to assume that the car was unlocked initially... The next thought he had was, um, what can be done if you're completely locked out of the car?
1: Oh, my.
4: Uh, with the OBD2 port on the inside of the car, what are your options now?
0: Yeah, and, and you know, Mark, it's a great question. I think what everybody needs to get familiar with is if they're driving a, a, a keyless system, meaning that it's a push-button start vehicle, look at your key fob. I haven't seen one yet, but the, the key fobs all have a key somehow hidden. There's a little lever that you're going to switch and move to open, and a little tiny key will slide out, and a lot of people don't realize this. I'll tell you a real quick funny story. The general manager of a very big radio station here in New York, uh, Tom knows exactly who I'm talking about, was was stuck recently, and he was locked out of his car, and he didn't realize that he had a remote key a remote access key inside to open the door with, A, and, B, that he had a dead battery in the vehicle. After I finally got the whole story, it came out that, um, of course, I also got to ask him, gee, if you had a car show on air that accounted for something, you could ask this guy these questions all the time, but that's a whole other story. But in reality, and my point is, look at your key fob. There will always be a key there to manually open the door because, Mark, you're right. The diagnosis has to begin somewhere, and plugging in and looking at the obd 2 port, Is a good place to start, but in reality, one of the topics in class that night was pulling the button, the push button, out of the dash and monitoring wire, monitoring the wires, the voltages out of the wire signals back and forth because there's typically three to four four modules involved in a keyless entry system talking to the car to wake it up. Here comes the key. They're opening the door. Hit the button. Open the door. Is this really him? Is this really what he wants to do? I, I mean, there's so much electronics flying around. By the year 2030, we're all going to start to glow if we don't get the car to run. But um, great question, Mark. Send me your information, Ron at I'll be glad to send you out a car doctor T-shirt and put it in the mail myself this week coming. I appreciate the likes and I appreciate the support. Real quick, let's go over to the phones and talk to Mike from Newport, New Hampshire, 0 oh, Honda Accord and some questions about a radio. Mike, welcome to the car, Doctor. How can I help?
1: Uh, thanks for taking my call Ron. I've learned a lot on your show over the years. Thank you. And an elderly gal friend of ours has this Accord, and one night the radio came on, and it won't go off, so it killed the battery, obviously. Okay. And she had the key out, key, key was off, and she's had the, the Honda key replacement done. Um, the warranty thing that came over on a recall. Right. Uh, I guess my question is, um, what can cause What can cause the radio to come on and not go off?
0: If if yes. she well, you know the 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 simple answer is that there is a an improper feed to the radio, because the radio has to be powered from something. I mean, the the simple answer might be, oh, it's a bad radio. But if you say, well, it's a bad radio, prove the argument. Show me where the power came from to turn the radio on when the key is in your hand. That That doesn't make any sense. So We have to look back at the source. Just like the keyless entry vehicle I was speaking about, you'd look at the push button for lack of power to start the car. Here I would be looking at the ignition circuit. I would go to the back of the radio and monitor the power line and look to see is it hot when this problem occurs does it still happen to this day mike or was it a one-time event
1: well she had it happen several times and uh, they would jump start the car and of course it wouldn't go off and it would kill the battery so he took it to the local service guy and he he just disconnected the uh the radio and and she said, "Well, can you fix it? Well, that'll cost more money." So she's right. wondering what is going on. With well, and thing.
0: I and I get I get the part about it costing more money, but my question is, okay, so you disconnected it. That's that's no rocket science there, but is the fault in the radio taking an, a, a wrong feed? Listen, long and the short of it, something's taking a wrong feed from somewhere. Either there is memory power to the radio being diverted internally in the radio that it's allowing it to turn on, and that's the fault, or the main power line into the radio is getting an improper voltage from somewhere, and that's got to be diagnosed and backtraced. And the fact that the ignition switch was done, I'd look there first, because just because it was replaced and it's new, new doesn't mean good. New has never, ever worked. Take a look at that, Mike, and explain that to her, and we can kind of go from there if you need more. Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. Welcome back, Ron Any the Car Doctor. Let's wind it up today. Let's go over and talk to Lisa in Wisconsin, two thousand three Nissan Sentra. Lisa, you're on with the Car Doctor. How can I help?
1: Thank you, Ron, for taking my question. Um I own a Nissan, a two thousand three Nissan Sentra GXV, mm-hmm. and um it has approximately hundred and thirty six thousand miles on it. It's a one point eight liter four cylinder. Right. And my question is, um, just out of nowhere, my temperature will spike, and when I go to pop the hood, their antifreeze is either really low or it's really high, and it's spraying out of the overflow. Right, it's overheating. Sometimes the hose is pinched.
0: Right, I mean it's I mean it's it's sucked shut. Yes. Right, it's collapsed. Okay, um, a couple of things are going on here. These are very common for head gaskets. But before we go, there are two points. Be careful about lifting the hood of an engine that's overheated. I don't want to see you get hurt or anybody get hurt because cooling system components under extreme pressure are hot, and if they burst, third-degree burns. I was 17 years old when I learned that the hard way on the New Jersey Turnpike. So that's number one. Number two, um, what's common with these, if the hoses are starting to collapse, and there's two things that come to mind for overheats, get a look at Bulletin EM04, Edward Mary 4 002. It talks about, or you may find it under NTB 04018, it talks about radiator cap failure and how you want a better quality or a better radiator cap on it. They had all sorts of issues early on. That's number one. Number two, head gaskets are very, very common on these cars to be intermittent and cause the problems you're describing. So it may be time for a head gasket. Start with a radiator cap, go from there. I'm Ron Andy the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. Let's